You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, October the 5th. I'm still in New York, but luckily for me, Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, has been on hand uh, at book one, day one of the Tattersall sales in Newmarket, along with just about everybody else in the bloodstock world. Jane, what was the key headline on the first day? No surprises, really, Nick. All the the leading players from international bloodstock jurisdictions are here. The Japanese came in in force, Middle East well-represented. Everybody's talking about the strength of the dollar. Well, that has definitely been felt with the likes of Mike Ryan and Ben McElroy having their say. So it is almost business as usual at the top of the market with Sheikh Mohammed here himself and being a force with the top three lots on day one, each of them making a million or more. Uh, it was good to see Sheikh Hissa here. She was on hand to oversee the purchase of the Lati Dar filly from uh, Watership Down. She paid 880,000 guineas for that filly and uh, what a family that is to get. But I thought that was significant with a view to the future of Shadwell's breeding. We know they've bought some good and well-bred fillies at Keeneland and that carried on here. So it's business as usual at Park Paddocks. Jane, you've been advising clients on prospective purchases today. Was it a day for you when it was too difficult to get a foothold it should be difficult to get what you want i've always been uh, of the belief if you don't have expensive tastes and maybe you have bad tastes now all always trying to get value everybody's always trying to seek value and look for something different but if you're going for the proven stallion and the horses that are dubawis none never sayunis at the end of the galileos and knight of thunders and more then of course you're going to have to pay a premium price because all the major players are here they're not here because they're blind. Of course, they can see what's in front of them. All of the horses here in book one, these are choice lots. They have pedigrees, so they have the best pedigrees mm. around. It's no surprise. If it wasn't competitive, then maybe the world imploding around us was after taking effect. But I feel like we're in a cocoon here, and um, the news is never on the television here. Jen, I want to ask you what, what some might think is a, a very basic, simple, reductive question, but one which surely people are wondering if they are not super familiar with the sales. If a sale, any sales house, but Tattersall's in this case, grades their sales into books one, two, three, four, the inference we're supposed to draw, and particularly from the publicity that, say, book one generates, is that this is where you're going to see the best of the stock. They've been selected specially for for this first part of the sale so therefore when i look down and yes there's million pound lots yes there's half million pound lots and lots of them and it's hard to get on the best lots no doubt but when i look down and i see horses making 80 70 60 30 and in one case even say fifteen thousand, isn't it isn't it obvious to everybody that that's where there's value because these horses have been pre-selected as the best on looks and or pedigree by a combination of the sales company and the vendors and yet they're they're not making vast amounts of money. Isn't isn't this where value lies, horses? That the odd one that slips through the crack in this in this elite sale. I have a lot of respect for vendors. Uh, being a vendor myself, at times I know that sometimes you will keep 
maybe a couple of choice lots for book two, hoping that they will stand out. And maybe you have horses in book one that have the page that doesn't match the physical. And there's, you know, there's always going to be ha have horses that don't tick every box and they will get into the sale for one reason or the other. Maybe they're a beautiful specimen that isn't by an in vogue sire or vice versa. They have absolutely everything going for them on the page. And then you look at them in the flesh, but that doesn't stop them from running. We've seen good horses come out of this sale being bought for reasonable enough money for a vendor they know the value of their horse when they're putting their reserve on and their expectations are going into the ring if they're happy to leave their horse go at whatever level that is they know what they have it's up to the purchaser then to put their value on a horse and and, and what they think it's worth and Sometimes you can be surprised and get value in something that you didn't think you'd get for a certain price. And sometimes you walk in with an intention to bid and, you know, you leave your hands in your pocket because you get blown away. So those are the broad brushstrokes. Let's get down to the finer detail. Charlotte Greenway has been on hand at Park Paddocks. So I'm here at Tassels joined by Adrian O'Brien, who has consigned the top lot of day one at book one. Adrian, you consigned lot 167, a Dubawi Colt, out of Ring the Bell, made 1.5 million to Godolphin. You must be delighted with that. Absolutely over the moon. Um, he He's obviously a, a gorgeous, gorgeous physical individual um, with an outstanding pedigree, walked like an proper athlete and and he's he's an early may foal and, and and given his given his birth date date he's um he's he's exceptionally mature and, and, and he just looks the part is that the sort of figure you were expecting yeah we're thrilled with that figure i mean sheikh sheikh mohammed and i believe it was japanese interests were under bitter um it's as as you say he's topped today so that that's where he's in the market deservedly so in my opinion well, we, we've always had a very high opinion of him, um, but once he, once he, once we start parading on um, on Saturday morning, he absolutely owned the place. He just, you know, he, everyone looked at him. He's a, he's a head turner. Of course, and you just had a Kingman go through. That's another good result. Yeah, good result. A, a filly, a filly um, from a from a French family, and um, yeah, all in all, it's been a very good day's um, a good day's work. And we've still got two more days to go. What else have you got left to look forward to? Well, we've we've got. Our remaining seven in tomorrow, and um, not nothing on Thursday. But we've got uh, some smashing offerings again tomorrow. We've got uh, two um, two more Dubawi Colts and a Dubawi filly, a two darn hot filly, which is she's beautiful. Um, uh, a Magna Grisha Colt, who's a half to Royal Patronage last year's Royal Royal Lodge winner, um, and, a, and a magnificent Sioni Colt as well. So we're we're. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to tomorrow. And the two Dubawis, he obviously stamps his stock, you know, they're all lovely, they've got plenty of substance to them. How do those two compare to this lad? Um, they compare very favourably. Um, you know, the, the, the Dubawi Galileo cross, um, you know, sometimes you can, you can see traits of both coming out. And I, 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 I think... Um, yeah, the, the, the brother to Barney Roy in particular looks um, looks actually sorry, two the two tomorrow are out of out of um, Galileo mares and um, they, they they both look like they've got um, yeah uh, similarities to both sires and I think that's pr a pretty good thing. Adrian O'Brien, consigner of the top lot 
on day one. Now, given their success on the race course this season, you'd have realistically expected Bahrain's KHK interest to be one of the big players. They've got Sakir as favourite for this weekend's Dali Juhar stakes, the Group 1 for two-year-olds at Newmarket. Their representative there will be the man who was on the sales ground for them today, Oliver St. Lawrence, and I asked him how the horse had done since his sparkling performance in the Millree Stakes at Newbury. Well, I mean, he's, he's um, come out of that really well, according to Roger. We're very happy with him. Um, he did a nice piece the other day. And um, we'll, all go, we'll go for Saturday, hopefully. Uh, yeah, the, the, the thinking was earlier in the season that this was a horse that, that looked all about speed, but he hit the line very hard at Newbury. How confident are you that he, he can be as good, if not better, over, over seven furlongs? I think I think we're pretty confident, Nick, that he'll run well over seven. Um, he was running on. David seems happy with him over seven. Um, you know, there's probably a question mark whether he get the guineas next year if we're lucky enough to be aiming at that. Um, but I think we're confident he'll get he'll get the seven this year. We'll certainly be riding him as if he as if he should get it. I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but was there a feeling that he was showing so much pace earlier on in the season and, and through his races that he was maybe kidding you into thinking he was more of a sprinter than a miler? Yes, and the pedigree sends mixed messages, and um, you know there's, the mares produce quite a lot of fast horses by slightly staying stallions, so um, we probably dropped the ball by not putting him into the Dewhurst, but um, and having to supplement him. But yeah, I mean. We are where we are, and the cult is at the moment looking very exciting. Uh, and the the season itself has has gone extraordinarily well with his victory, him being favourite for the Dewhurst and Elder Elder off winning the winning the St Ledger. You're at the sales at the moment. How are you getting on? Um, sadly, haven't managed to strike today at all. I'm trying very hard. I'm also trying for the Arc here, some Arc Prescott, but we're failing on that as well. But um, hopefully we'll get some we'll get some action done. It's quite a strong trade here today. So you're so you're you're trying to buy some yearlings for some Arc as well as for for KHK. Um, yes, but on a on a lower level for some Arc, we, we are doing trying to do our our usual of of, of finding a few that have slipped through the cracks ah. and um, um, staying pedigrees slipped through the cracks that we think we can we can do something with. But it's it's tough going for everybody by the sounds of it in a good way. In a good way. Yeah, no, it's, it's fabulous that the market is so strong. All right, that was Oliver St. Lawrence representing the owners of Sakia, who is the short price favourite for the Dewhurst Stakes, sponsored by Dali at the weekend. Jane Mangan is still with me. This looks an absolute belter, Jane. I'm looking forward to this very much. As we all should be. The Dewhurst is one of the best two-year-old races, if not the best two-year-old race run in the UK. And it is ha- it has depth this year. There's strength in numbers but also in quality yes you've mentioned Sakir he's running the Mill Reef also impressive and his rating of 115 puts him on par with Chaldean what has Chaldean beaten so far he's been very impressive doing it but he hasn't faced opposition quite like this you've got naval power for team Godolphin Nostrum interesting that Richard Kingsook's Kingscote has already jacked up on Nostrum, I suppose, with the anticipation that Ryan Moore will partner either Aesop Fables or August Rodan for Bally Doyle. You've got Sean Levy already jacked up on Isaac Shelby for Brian Mee and Royal Scotsman. Can he bounce back to form after that good win at uh, Goodwood Marban? Disappointing at the Curra, surely better than what we've seen. The Dewhurst can crown a champion two-year-old, and while Little Big Bear will be very hard to catch, this could put somebody's hat in the ring. I think Nostrum's a big price at five or six to one. Do you do you believe that Sakia is 
is going to improve over seven furlongs. Oliver St. Lawrence saying that there's mixed messages from his pedigree. He thinks he'll get seven, not quite sure about a mile. What do you think? His pedigree is all speed. He looked very fast um, in the mill reef. I don't know, if I'm honest. Uh, I've been impressed with what I've seen from Chaldean so far. I think Judd Mont are in a very strong position to add a second group one of the season. Their only group one winner this season so far has been Westover. But uh, the future could be bright with those two two-year-olds running at the weekend. Yeah, as I say, I'd be... I'd be really disappointed if Nostrum doesn't take a big step forward from that that excellent performance last time, given his his paddock appearance that day. I see him as a guineas horse, really, Jane. I could see a Derby winner, or I could see a, a guineas winner. You could see both out of this race. August Rodan as well looks to me like he's going to benefit for going up and trip, having kind of grounded out at Leopardstown rather than being as zippy as an impressive horse as Sakir was. He looked real real speed in the Millery. So let's see what happens on Saturday. There's a big conference in Paris on Monday, the IFHA conference, International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities, where various matters are discussed, both both financial and disciplinary or regulatory. And the BHA's chief regulatory officer, Brant Dunshay, was responding to the notion that you could give uh, riders or, or licensed personnel immediate bans in the wake of the Sumion situation. Jane, what do you think of that? What do I think of that? I think it's it's they want more control. I get it. They BHA realized that they would have been as powerless as France Gallo were in that if they wanted to implement an immediate ban, they couldn't because it's not there. The rule isn't there. But I I I I don't see the circumstance. It would have to be something beyond racing. I do, I don't see a racing or a riding offence being worthy of an immediate shackles and throw them into the into jail kind of job um so yeah i get that they want more more control but this is this is extreme well the procedure's there for a reason we discussed this i feel like we discussed this with lydia on on monday and dave on on tuesday there's a reason why this type of ban for riding offenses begins a few days thereafter for, for betting reasons for convenience to connections who've already booked riders and also to give riders or licensed personnel, if it's a, a trainer or whatever, a chance to to appeal. I I rather agree with you. I don't I don't see in what under what circumstances an immediate ban is is necessary or desirable. If it's a question of it looking bad on Arc Weekend, that was a, a an exceptional set of circumstances that is pretty unlikely to be repeated anytime soon. You you almost get the impression that the regulator thinks this is what the public perception would want and this is what to save our blushes would be necessary but personally if you backed Videni argument's sake uh, and you knew Christoph Sumion was riding it and then all of a sudden he wasn't and the best riders for the arc are booked to ride in a 20 runner arc then your your price isn't valid anymore, really, because there's, there's so many different sets of circumstances yeah. and you just get the feeling that this is a reaction to what perception suggests should happen. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, what, for example, say Christoph Simeon had reached over and yanked a jockey forcibly off a horse and been given a year's ban, and then the day his year ban um, elapsed, it was arc day and he won the arc you know it's like you, you can't you you can't control everything 
But unfortunately, we live in a world where everybody thinks you should. And if you step one step out of line, then you should be fired and you should never be allowed to work again and all this um, uh, overreaction. But unfortunately, it was the weekend that it was. He's got the high profile job that he's got. And he's also one of the best jockeys in the world. So it's got a lot of traction. We're still talking about it on mm, move on now, already. Wednesday. But, you know, hopefully we will move on. Do you want to talk about another riding offence that happened nearer where I am? Uh, a worse one, actually, yes. You're talking about Sonny Leone in the Lucas Classic at Churchill Downs. So I want to take a little time out to talk about this year's Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike, because if you didn't see it, he ran really, really well uh, on Saturday at Churchill Downs, his beloved Churchill Downs, against a very tough older horse in Hot Rod Charlie. And if you were listening to us yesterday, Matt Benear, whose opinion I respect enormously, and I, were saying that in some ways this... You know, although he was a huge price in the Kentucky Derby and nobody could understand how he won on the day, he's turned into a horse who might yet be the most legit winner of the run for the Roses in in several years. Eric Reed is his trainer and uh, and is with me now. I'm I'm happy to sit and eat humble pie, Eric. Um, the runs he's he's put up in the in the Travers and now at Churchill Downs the other day have uh, certainly convinced me that he's a he's a more legit horse than I ever thought he was. But I don't think you ever thought any different, did you? No, and I don't blame anybody for for thinking the way they did because the the, the numbers on paper didn't add up uh, in the past performance line as to what we had seen in the races and how he was finishing up after the races. And, of course, he wasn't really on the radar because he was only also eligible and nobody thought he would get in. So I don't think there was a lot of attention given to him and and, and really paid to him until it was almost too late to to notice. So I have no problem with any of that. And um, I'm glad that he's validated himself like you know, we all thought he was. And the biggest thing to me is he's made such improvement in every race all year. And for May to now, the improvement's just incredible. I mean, the one blip, I suppose, was was that Belmont Stakes. How hard was it to get him back from that to compete at the level he has done the last twice? Well, you know, it was really easy for him because that was my mistake in the Belmont for uh, giving instructions to try to go around horses. And uh, you know, I've trained horses almost 40 years, and I've only had a handful that when you pulled them away from the dirt, they didn't want to run harder. He's just one that really wants to be in there and mix it up. So um, it was a mistake on my behalf. And the, the 10 weeks to the Travers was harder on me than it was him just because I knew I'd made a mistake, and I was listening to the talk and the people knocking the horse. And, um, you know, I was hoping in the Travers he'd prove that I was, I was right and it was a mistake. And uh, he, he seemed to do that. And then the other day, I think he confirmed it. Uh, it, it's, it is quite interesting. I, I guess when you've got a Kentucky Derby win under your belt, what people say matters rather rather less. Or does it? Or does it still bother you? Well, I've been around a long time and I've had some other good horses. And I've, you know, people, there's, there's lovers and haters opinions and that's what makes anything go around in this world so i don't bother it um i i don't mind anything they say about me but the poor horse doesn't get to talk and when i do something wrong and it uh you know it, it causes bad vibes or bad speaking of him he can't defend himself so um that bothers me a little bit but now i mean it's horse racing and you know there's guys that uh, love their horse and 
there's guys just like the Dallas Cowboys. I guess they say half the country loves them, half the country hates them. So I don't think half the country hates Richie, but I think a lot of people respect him more, and that's that that's gratifying for me. Yeah, and the good news is that he doesn't know any difference. So you can just go up to him every morning and say everybody loves you. The Dallas Cowboys, unfortunately, you can't convince them otherwise. No, they're never going to convince anybody. Um, now, I want to talk about Saturday's race. Do you think he should have won that race and somehow managed to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory because of whatever the jockey was doing? Well, I don't think the jockey had anything to do with the outcome of the race. Um, you know, th- there's a lot that went on in the race. The biggest thing that most people just don't understand is, you know, the Rich Strike is still very inexperienced on on certain types of how he runs. It used to be if he wasn't on the inside, he wouldn't run at all. Now he passed all the horses on the outside, uh, showed a lot of early speed. So it's another big step in maturity. And But what he did, and most people just don't get it, and I guess there's a lot of trainers that do, and there's been a lot of riders on horses that did what he did. He, he was in the center of the track, and this time he was running, he passed the horses. But when he cleared Hot Rod Charlie about a neck, if you're watching the head-on of the video, you'll notice he starts drifting out. And he drifted out probably three paths because there was no longer a horse that he could see to his left. And it was a wide open track. Um, if he's down on the inside, he probably continues to run because that's where he typically is. But he found himself out there without a target. And he, te- he, he just wanted to let up a little bit. And you can almost watch his head just, you know, start to, to, to fade away. And what riders do is when, when they feel a horse letting up, they'll try to pull him back to where they can feel the horse next to him, and that gets them going again. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Gaffleone even made the comment that he had started to drift Hot Rod Charlie out to re-engage. So both riders are doing the same thing. What happened to Sonny is when he, he went to pull to the left, the saddle shifted slightly, just enough to where his balance you know wasn't normal, and he you know, he, he rides to the left of the horse anyway. All the photos, if you watch, his head is always the left of the horse's neck. It's just his style. So now the horses are laying on each other. And it was aggressive riding on Sonny's part from that point on. Um, both horses shoved each other equally, but not enough to create a steward's inquiry. And, um, you know, it's everybody can take it for whatever they want. There's going to be opinions both ways. Sonny, when the saddle shifted, could have definitely wrapped up and finished second beating a half length and said you know i lost my balance instead he kind of risked all let him drift on that horse which kind of stabilized everything and then he ride of course his elbows are right there messing with the other rider too so the, i'm not saying he did nothing wrong but i don't think he did anything blatantly wrong okay um do you want to keep him on the horse absolutely and if they i mean you know he's not the only rider to be suspended this year I mean, no you know there's the top rider in the country has been suspended multiple times this year for the same kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it, it's part of racing. It's not, it's if you're trying to throw them off the horse or like what happened in Europe a couple weeks ago, that's a different ball game. But, um, I mean, gosh, you know, this is, this is race riding one one and a lot of horses and jockeys, you know, they, they rough each other up sometimes. Sometimes they go over the line. It's incredibly pertinent to what we've been discussing with the with the situation in France a few days ago. Uh, Eric, I, I, I want to talk about the Breeders' Cup Classic. It, 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 what's exciting me about this is that, yeah, we've got a horse that lays over the field in flight line, but there's so many that want to be a part of this race. What what part do you think you can play in it when you, when you consider it in your mind's eye? 
you know, it, it, the way he's changing and showing tactical speed, that you know, we wondered why his whole career he never showed early because his breezes are so fast. But when he races, he just would give them a head start for some reason. And now he's, you know, the Travers, he laid closer to the pace. And the other day, he was basically on the pace. So, you know, we could be in a, in a really a catbird seat behind some really good speed older horses and maybe even put herself ahead of some of these three-year-olds that we've been spotting in the other races if he wants to show the kind of speed he did the other day at Churchill. And that could put him in a really good spot turn for home if, if the pace falls apart. Okay. And so so you're thinking that you thinking you could get a podium finish? It's possible. I mean, it's a super stellar field of horses. And... The reason that I ran him in this race at Churchill was there were two races, two reasons. The Pennsylvania Derby was just too quick back, and I had to put too many miles on his legs. But I needed to know how he would respond against older horses. And, you know, he showed that, I mean, Hot Rod Charlie's a warrior. So there's uh, life is good and um, flightliner generational type horses. But Hot Rod Charlie's a pretty nice horse. And for him to, to basically be able to defeat him first time out, you know, within six inches, and maybe if the horse runs straight all out, he does win. But um, it, it gave me the the reason to think that Breeders' Cup's not out of reach. Uh, one final question: What difference to your business has winning the der- Derby men? Have you have you had more orders for yearlings? Are you going to be a fuller barn next year? Uh, well, I, I was full before the Derby, and you know we've had a ton of people come to us, and we've brought in some new horses, but not a lot. I've I, I've got great clientele, and I'm at the stage of my career where I'm I'm in Kentucky, where everybody's wanting to be with these huge purses year round now, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll grow the stable maybe a, a lot more uh, better level horses than than we've had, but. Um, I'm not going to pack up and go travel all around the country again. It's just not for me. So I'm, it's been a, it's been an amazing journey, and so many people are, are coming to us with better horses, but they're local people, and um, I think it's going to help us just to uh, stay more at home and not have to travel so much where we have to run so many other tracks. Well, it's been it's been very enjoyable to to eat this particular helping of of humble pie, and if he if he runs really well in the Breeders' Cup Classic, you can put some whipped cream on it as well. Um, Eric, thank, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk to you. We're catching up with another success story now from Tattersalls. Uh, Samuel and Elodie de Barros sold two horses on the first day, 550000 for lot 120 and 600000 for lot 132. Not a bad return. They are French-based, as you might have guessed. They've been selling their horses via Newsels Park, and they own Channel. They're represented by agent Bertrand Lemetier, who joins me now. Bertrand, that's a, that's a good return by anybody's standards. Exceeding your expectations? Hi, Nick. Yes. Um, very much so. Um, very much so overall. Uh, I would say that it is, it is not a surprise um, for 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 the Colts, which was uh, extremely popular. That's the piece in motion. I thought the 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 Pinkster was a was a lovely filly, but you couldn't really think she was going to make that sort of money. Oh, so, what were the sires of these two? So the first one the the first one was the the See the Stars filly out of Pinkster, which we were lucky to sell with New Sales last year. The the sister by C Uni won on debut and looked pretty promising, and that probably helped 
quite a bit. And uh, the other one was um, was the piece in motion uh, out of Dubawi, which uh, sold to Godolphin. And Godolphin buying up all those really lovely Dubawis. Tell me a little bit more about your, your clients, uh, because there'll be new names to a lot of people, particularly outside France. Yes, they're very new people. They, they were they were quite lucky into uh, owning a, a classic winner into their first horse in training, and um, and following up on this success, they thought they will build a very small but neat broodmare band, um, and uh, and take the best option for them just to um, to to make them commercial, and uh, and just grow their assets. And am I right in thinking that they've come from the the trotting sphere? Yes, exactly. The, the um, LOD is a is a well known trotting breeder, but Samuel wasn't involved himself. And um, on the late, he, he thought he was he was just about right to do something uh, in the horses as much uh, or just as good as a as a wife, and that's how it started. And and trot, trotting is hugely popular in in France as well, isn't it? Extremely popular, uh, Nick. I mean, they've got eleven thousand births, you know, compared to six thousand for us. So it's a, it's a big, the big numbers. It's a very popular sport. How have you found the the sort of temperature of the sale as a whole, as a as a as a consigner, and and also somebody presumably looking to to buy horses? Well, I thought he was. I thought he was. He was a uh, very strong. The median uh, will show that. I would, I would imagine tonight, and um, you know, again, you know, the the, the strength of Tassels is to be able to produce these international buyers. They just make the difference. And every year we seem to have uh, some new faces, um, or, or even the old faces, coming stronger and stronger based on on the results. Bertrand, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Well, there will be a clamour amongst so many of you for me to get stuck into the. The British jumps season and the Irish jumps season, all the more important, of course. Uh, let's call it the European jumps season. There's no better man to help me do that than Mark Howard, the racing TV expert and uh, author of One Jump Ahead, now in its 29th season. Mark, I, I don't want to make you feel old, but I remember buying this, you know, like when I was doing my GCSEs at school. It does seem a long time ago, Nick. At least you feel as old as I do, but 1993, believe it or not, I'd finished school and uh, was due to go to university so it, it sort of filled that summer gap but it does seem an awful long time ago yeah definitely makes me feel old I, i'd love to say i was just going to primary school when i wrote the first one but unfortunately <laughs> not so seriously you were in that you were in that long summer holiday between school and uni and you thought oh, i'll just knock out a, a a book about about jumping prospects for the coming season yeah, I'm afraid that, that that's true it's just one of those things isn't it you probably get into it when you're about 12 or 13 and then by the time you're 18, going on 19, um, you, it was one of those, I thought, I'd give it a crack. If it doesn't work out, if uni goes okay, I'll get a proper job. But luckily it worked out over the first two or three years and I'm still going strong 29 years later. Well, I'm still going anyway. Yeah, a, a bit like me, you're, you're still searching for a job, which... Um, I know, aren't, aren't we lucky is all I can say to that. It is become... Um, invaluable i know you supplement it with updates during the course of the season it, it has remained unchanged in terms of size and, and general shape but you get so much more in it now um what do you think what do you think this year are going to be the big themes of the jump season I th- well i think obviously the, the, i think i do think the irish domination will continue for for the foreseeable future but I think some of the the British yards, just generally the, the amount of spending, the likes of your, your Paul Nichols, your Dan Skelton's, to a slightly lesser extent, Lucinda Russell, um, 
Nicky Henderson, obviously. The, I mean, they, they, they realise that Ireland are well ahead at the moment, but the, the British guys are, are reacting, whether whether they can be competing with your Mullins and your Elliots, etc. But I think that that is one of the themes that... I mean, Paul Nichols, he, he spent an awful lot on French horses, in particular Irish pointers, so... Um, I, I, you know, we're, we're apparently in a time of um, crisis, money-wise, but I, that certainly doesn't appear to be reflected in national hunt racing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because the, this is where your book's where I first find out about serious money changing hands for French and Irish young horses. Do you, you think more money's been spent in the closed season by British trainers than ever before? I, I do, I do. But, but, but to counter that, I think you, you, you likes of de Bromhead... Mullins, Elliot, they've all they've also up there up the ante as well, believe it or not. So it's just going to be extremely strong at the top end of the scale. But I do think, uh, yeah, Paul Nichols, he spent an awful lot on Irish pointers this season. Um, well, Paul himself, he, he, it's well documented. He, he tries to improve his squad every single season. He offloads some horses, but he's he's filling up with some exciting prospects. So yeah, Paul's certainly up in his game. Yeah, of of the sort of slightly less heralded outfits, who do you think is going to make a breakthrough? I think I think you'd be looking towards. I, I I think you agree with me. I think Harry Fry will have a good season. Um, I think Chris Gordon's a trainer, definitely going places. His horses are currently during October, um, early part of October. They've started really well, and I think Lucinda Russell, speaking to her during the summer, her and um, her partner Peter Scudamore, they made a. a sort of set decision to try and spend more money at the sales and trying to compete with some of the bigger yards and and then again you're looking towards the, the likes of Dan Skelton as well who I'm sure one day he will win the championship but while Paul's around it's always going to be tough for him Horses are going to start coming out from the nice yards quite soon, we've got that big Chepstow meeting this this weekend, anything immediately catching your eye? Uh, difficult to say with the, the way the ground is, Paul Nichols, not surprisingly he does very well at that meeting, he's got a lot of entries it appears as though he's going to unleash McFabulous either on the Friday or the Saturday. Philip Hobbs has got Tyne Hill, who goes chasing for the first time. He's entered on Friday. So there would obviously be two exciting recruits. But there is rain around. Hopefully we'll get some rain and the ground will be just on the easy side and, and hopefully some good horses will be unleashed. But there would be two of the high, higher profile names, I would imagine. This time last year, nobody had really heard of Constitution Hill. And obviously now he's the most exciting national hunter horse in training. Is there a horse lurking around that you've picked up from your interviews with people getting horses from elsewhere is there a horse you you are really looking forward to seeing who i've never heard of well there'd be three names that i would mention at this stage from from an english point of view gary gary moore's another another trainer who i should have put into that bracket as a as a sort of breakthrough year he had a very good season last year had 91 winners but he's recruited heavily on the french horses he's got a horse called bo zenith who won his only start in our toy he could follow a very similar route to Porticello, who obviously did very well in juveniles last season. And a couple of rich, richy stroke Willie Mullins horses. Uh, Chapeau de Soleil, he would be my dark horse for the... Well, it's not so much a dark horse because he's nearly anti-post favourite, but for the Cheltenham bumper. And Rich is very keen on a horse called Quai de Paris, who could easily be... He could be a supreme horse. He could be a Ballymore. Your guess is as good as mine. But there would be three names certainly took out for. OK, Beau Zenith, Chapeau de Soleil and Quai de Paris. I've never heard of any of them. I'm sure you have. Mark Howard, um, thank you very much. And the book One Jump Ahead is out in... I was going to say all good bookshops, but it's out. It's out. You can get it on Amazon and pretty much anywhere else. You can. That, that's right. Yeah, the website, my website is probably the best way to go. But yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Now my thanks to Mark. Jane is still with me and has a tip for you for today.
Yes, we're going to Navan. Uh, the 3.35 is a maiden and Salt Lake City was abysmally disappointing in the convivial maiden at York after being second to a horse called Al Rifa on his debut at the Curra. I hope if he can put that York run behind him, he could break his maiden tag, make it third time lucky for Aidan O'Brien and Wayne Lorden in the 3.35 at Navan this afternoon. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday the 5th of October. We'll see you again to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.